hello and welcome back to the Leaders Who Love What They Do podcast. I'm so looking forward to speaking to my guest today. My guest today is also an expert in transitions and transformations because she works in HR. So I'm really looking forward to asking her lots about her role and what has inspired her and especially looking into her area of specialism, which is recruitment. So Eva Lundahl joins me today. She is a Talent Acquisition Director at GE Renewable Energy, and she's had many years of experience leading global teams in HR, and most recently in talent acquisition. So thank you so much, Eva, for joining me today. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Anne. Lovely. So Eva, let's dive straight in because I have so many questions to ask you. Firstly, what inspired you to become a leader in HR, would you say? And what has been your biggest uh, success and your biggest challenge also? I actually came into HR of a little bit of an accident. Ah. Um, I hadn't planned to go into HR. I hadn't done any studies particularly around HR. And I did my, my MBA in organizational development and design. Coming out of school, that's not necessarily something that you do straight off going into the job market. I wanted one thing, that was to go abroad. I wanted to travel and to be in an international environment. So I started out by doing an Erasmus exchange in Germany. As a student. It was at the back end of my studies. I had my diploma already. And after that, the job market wasn't great. I was sort of looking out there for something. And I ended up in a Swedish company doing financial controlling. So that allowed me to stay in Germany. And after two years, though, I realized that, you know, numbers is good, but it's not everything. <laughs> I needed something that gave me a little bit of a human touch. And again, you know, HR wasn't something that was up there as a delight for me. It's not something that I had been thinking of. But starting to looking at things like marketing, or communication or I realized that staying in Germany wasn't going to happen for me because there the culture is very much that you've started somewhere you need to articulate why you want to deviate away from that it's not the Anglo-Saxon environmental culture where you are allowed maybe to deviate and learn as you go and that was Mm. going to be and has been more of the red thread of my career So telecom at that point in time, in the end of the 80s, was really booming. And I had the pleasure to integrate a company called Nortel Network. Unfortunately, it's a company that doesn't exist anymore. But that was one of the five top telecom producers at the time. And I joined their HR leadership program. I knew nothing about HR, but that gave me the foot into a world where I have since then, you know, almost 30 years later, spent the most of my career. So your question was around, you know, HR leader and what inspired me. So once I did get the foot in the door in HR, I got acquainted to a world that gave me that human touch that that I was so seeking for, but didn't know to put the finger on. And throughout my career, being an HR leader and Primarily, I've been in recruitment. We'll talk about recruitment later. It's this variety of being able to work with teams, HR stakeholders, business stakeholders. So really being able to build solutions for a company that has a business growth or business challenges in different ways, but be able to work with the HR partners and your teams to be able to meet those challenges together. So the collaboration is for me extremely important. But then what HR also gives you in particular recruitment is although you're very much as a support function, quite internally focused in recruitment, you've got 
the opportunity to also work externally. So you work with external partners, whether it's for branding or com, but also obviously with candidates, so external candidates. So just all of those different puzzle pieces inspired me to continue being a leader in HR, although accidentally. Can I just come back to what you were saying about wanting to be in that international environment? Because mm -hmm. you truly are an international leader. What is it that you love about that? The variety of cultures, variety of angles on life and vision to do things differently, the diversity. That would probably be my answer today. Initially, it was just the hunger for adventure and just wanting to see what else was out there different from what I had seen or lived or experienced when I was 25. I love yeah. that hunger for adventure. It's oh, yeah. wonderful to hear leaders talking about their hunger for adventure as well. I think that brings a real positive energy to whatever we're doing and that curiosity, which is great. And certainly I'm sure it's fundamental when you're working in recruitment as well. So they're really interesting. Could I come back to you about what has been your biggest challenge, would you say? You've had, as you said, nearly 30 years in HR or are the challenges more generally? Finding the work-life balance along the way been my biggest challenge as a leader yes. and as a mother mm. I'm the mother of three but finding the right work-life balance being stimulated in my career at the same time of being available for my family which was very important mm. to me also you know along the way I came to a point in my career early on I found it easy. You're in a hamster wheel. Find when you're in your career and you want to do a good job. You succeed. You work with people and you get opportunities to grow. Yes. And those opportunities that come, you welcome them. There's another opportunity. You grow, you get promoted, get more responsibility. Come to a point, what I learned is that you have to know that there is a ceiling. That ceiling has different levels. It's got one level for me. It's got another level for someone else. That's what's going to be the deciding point for you. And it became for me and the learning for me where that break even point between family life and your, your career ambitions will overlap. You go beyond that. Mm -hmm. Um, your work-life balance will tip over at one point or another with different trigger points you will adapt and go back to that break-even point and for me a global role was that one step too many for me in a very large organization where we were recruiting 7,000 people a year and then I had my family waking up at the same time as Australia was going to bed so it was important for me then to realize that that was just too much for me and it went beyond my ambitions and what I wanted to do so Working internationally has since then become in my region and in my time zone so that I can yes. work the same hours as everyone else. It's really interesting that you talk about balance, isn't it? And that sometimes it can feel like a ceiling, can't it? But what you did, it seems to me, is you rearranged things so that you could continue to do what you loved and have time with your family. And it's uh, about keeping that balance and creating that balance for you as you go along. And as you say, it changes, doesn't it? Depending yeah. on what stage of life you're at and what's going on. And it might change back again. It was a lovely role that I had with that global responsibility. But at that point in time, it didn't work for me. Maybe in a couple yes. of years time, I'll go back on it. Exactly. It's always shifting sands, isn't it? And about finding what the balance is right now. At one side, it's a challenge, but it's also opening opportunities, isn't it? That shifting balance, it forces you in a way to look broader, looking into different things to keep that balance. Exactly. First of all, to realize, you know, when you come to that break even point, but then also because we've all been 
taught and we've been triggered and encouraged to do more and and we enjoy it as well yes and to say no to that next step is very difficult to be able to do that in a way that articulates why you're saying no without closing doors in the future you're maybe not saying no but you're saying not right now exactly and I think what's very powerful about doing that is that you give permission to other people who are less senior to be able to also say that and I think that creates a very dynamic and creative environment where people have that freedom to say well actually yeah that's not for me in this moment um so I think it's it can be very powerful as a as a leader my next question leads on from that you know you've had many years of experience of leading global teams how do you manage that for yourself and your team being a model in the way that you manage your own time is helping others as you were saying to make decisions for themselves and also realize that you know there are different ways I'm combining my work ambitions and my personal life and I know very early on my team that I had maybe 10 or 15 years ago they were saying and they were young they were just coming out of school they had a couple of years of experience I was saying how do you do it like I have difficulties keeping up with my life and you have two children and I had a third coming and I think a very important part for me was at that point what I was saying was that I put boundaries and I put boundaries and some didn't accept them initially but when you were able to show that actually I delivered what was expected within my role and those boundaries examples could be I always brought my children to school in the morning I always left work at six so I could be at home for seven that might have meant at one point in time that there were some things I had to close out after they'd gone to bed and I I did that so that sort of work-life balance rules and guidelines for me allowed me to do that as a personal leader or my personal life more in the workspace I've had very large teams so you can't be everywhere all the time and sometimes you don't have the luxury of having middle leaders or managers within your team so I had a team of 100 at one point in time working very far away from where I was today uh, just this year I've had a team of 50 uh, again working across the region and on distance and without having a, a middle layer, it doesn't allow you to obviously delegate as successfully or formally, at least. So you need to find other ways of working through your team. And what I've found working for me is that you identify people in the team who have a hunger and have the ambition to want to do more than maybe what's on their job description. And they definitely have potential. And then by identifying those people and partnering with them, it allows you to work through them and help them give the opportunity to grow, giving them projects, giving them part of the team responsibility, because you can't work day to day and one-to-one with 50 people or 100 people. But you can do that in different ways without formalizing a different reporting relationship structure. Yes, the way that you're actually seeing it as a as a way of building the capacity in your team as well. Yes, it helps in terms of the organization, but it's actually to help them to be ready yeah. to take that next step too. It's definitely been a win-win. You know, I've had a couple of occasions with teams I've worked with that maybe there's been a one or two people who didn't 
fit in team-wise. And I, I'm particularly thinking of, of one example where she was a bit older and a bit different in the way of where she was in her career and the way of interacting with the others. Those were really close. They were all sort of five years plus after university. And she was 10, 15, and she just didn't really fit into the team and had a lot of difficulties getting her integrated. And what I really like as a leader is being able to identify, we all have something that we're good at and being able to identify the opportunity that allows that person to bloom. You don't always have that opportunity, but sometimes things just come together. And we had a very large ramp-up project in Guinea. And at that point in time with Rio Tinto, was a very, very visible and very business important strategic project and we were involved with them there and a lot of the recruitment was non-professional hiring and the non-professional hiring in Guinea meant recruiting people who don't necessarily even are able to read or write and this lady in my team who didn't really find her space I knew that she had done assessment. So she was a certified psychologist and, and she had done lots of assessments before and I had a discussion with her as an expert in that field. And it made her bloom and she came back to me with a proposal of how to build a full assessment tool and assessment center with pictures for people oh, not amazing. being able to read and write. And that project gave her visibility within the team that gave her credibility of what she brought. Those are the things that I remember as a leader. I was able to give her a place for herself and for the team. That was a yeah. really lovely leadership. And what was her reaction to all of that? Do you remember? She was an introvert, so she didn't necessarily, but yeah, you could see her starting interacting with the team, following on from that differently. Because she had understood that she had a, a strength that we needed that she developed further. And others came to her as an expert in that field as well. So she got a place. You helped create that and yeah, you yeah, created that yeah. space for her, which uh, exactly. is, is absolutely what leadership is all about, isn't it? It's, I think what I'm really hearing, Eva, is that for you, leadership is really about developing other people. If I can help them identify what their strengths are and help them bloom within that area and therefore build their identity, for some it's easier, for some it's more mm. difficult. That's definitely something that gives me motivation to be a leader. But then yeah. also within that, you know, we were talking about being a model, building a trust, you know, to be able to trust that I can come to you to have that discussion and see where you can help being a mentor and being a coach, I think is what I really enjoy as a leader. Yes. And I think if we're all able to have at least part of our outside of the operational hamster wheel and delivering on on objectives uh, within whatever role and organization we are working within if we're able to create some space to a mentor in that arena will make us better operational leaders as well absolutely and how do you create that space because it's very interesting what you say because i when i talk to a lot of leaders this is quite a challenge to create this space the everyday challenges where things have to be done by today yeah, it's not always easy and I have not always been able to do it. But and I have, as I said before, most of my teams have always been on distance, at least for the past 15 and maybe 20 years. So very few of my team members actually sit where I sit. So creating that space or virtual space is even more challenging. Mm. But to have those dedicated slot one-to-ones or with part of your team or with your whole team, 
like a creating that governance that allows you to have that time. And although, you know, maybe sometimes it'll get deleted out of the calendar because another priority comes, at least it sits there to remind you that yes. that space is there for a reason. And those are the conversations where I really try to talk about maybe other things than just what needs to be done this week. So creating that space, but protecting that space, you know, putting it on the calendar, even if sometimes it doesn't happen, you know, it's going to pop up again. So that recurring priority in a sense you're making it a priority Mm -hmm. let's come into uh, recruitment as it's your specialist area and it's something that quite a few people have been asking me about recently and saying that how difficult it is and it seems to be going through cycles at the moment sometimes it seems a bit easier sometimes it seems much more difficult what do you think leaders should be doing generally and I'm talking about leaders who are not in recruitment what would you suggest that they should be doing in terms of helping their companies with recruitment it's been a very challenging six, nine, 12 months in terms of, mm. of hiring. You know, we've really seen, as you said, trends, ups and downs. In all, all my career, I, don't, I can't remember that like the last 12 months has been as challenging. Recruiting for talent in any market after coming out of COVID, there was this accumulated need and all companies started to recruit at the same time in the same places for the same type of talent. So it's been extremely challenging up until about mid-year this year has started to calm down and now we're seeing some other trends calming that trend down a little bit. So what are the things that that you would need to think about as a leader, you ask? Well, beyond the fact that you're obviously being very careful about understanding what is my need. Do I need to take all of those boxes Mm -hmm. on the full list of the job description? I think, you know, that is number one. Do I really all of those necessary items or can I describe my need in different ways? If I have a team, you know, obviously there is a role, whatever, in financials or in HR or in in software development, you know, I want them to have those technical elements and experience. But within my team, I might already have a lot of those. So can I allow for maybe a different type of profile complementing what I have already? And is there another need that I have within my team? more on the soft side that could allow the team to complete um, maybe its holistic capability uh, puzzle rather than than just ticking those boxes. So that would be one of the things is can I think differently about what my need is? And then how do I articulate that in writing or in, in, you know, when I speak to people in detail or do I articulate that in what we offer as well? So the EVP, the employee value proposition, I need to take the time to think that through. What is it that I am offering or that we are offering as an organization that allows me to to be more attractive and to retain the people joining my organization. So it's thinking out of the box in terms of my need, but also how I articulate that need. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Can I just um, ask you a little bit more about what are we offering as an organization? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, it's impossible for you to generalize because every sector is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But do you see things that companies are generally forgetting to say that are actually important to candidates? on a on a general level it is changing but we tended to articulate more of this is the the total rewards and the remuneration and but I think COVID has shown that there is much more to it than just money previously I think the younger generation your millennials they were really 
coming at it in, in a different way than previously. And I actually think that that's now been extended to a much larger group than just that millennial generation. A lot of yes. people having worked from home and being able to deliver, you know, uh, meet their the expectations of their employers and be able to meet their objectives by working on distance from home are now starting to see a very different way of flexible working and organizations now need to think about what's the right balance between that flexible working and maybe also getting people back to work at least some part of the time so that we can build a bit more of that cohesive team spirit. So it's a long answer to a short question, but there's this in progress actually, and there, there isn't an end to it yet, but we are in a cultural shift in how organizations offer and therefore articulate the employer value proposition beyond those numbers. And it's something that is going to be a competitive advantage. When you've mentioned flexible working has been one of those points. Are there other things as well that people are looking for generally, would you say? The first thing people ask for nowadays in interviews is, you know, can I work from home? Because that's become the norm. But working from home is one thing, but I also see a, a number of people joining our organization on distance, don't even meet their leader or meet their team or meet that. So it's also about being able to be in the office, see those models that we talked about before, work with them next to them and being an integrated part of, of a team and, a, and an organization and feel the culture and being part of influencing and building that culture. I think we yeah, see a bit yes. of both gone yes. on the extreme on one end. And, and now I think we're a little bit flexing back. Yes, that people are kind of realizing that actually a more hybrid model is preferable for a lot of people. Oh, mental health. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I think you've answered a little bit about retention then, this flexibility maybe. Are there other things that you see that companies are doing that, that are really helping to retain their staff? When we're talking about leadership styles, we're talking about mentoring and coaching before. And I know, and I haven't seen the latest numbers, but I know for a very long time we're saying that the number top reason for people leaving an organization or a role was the leader. I think that might have, you know, from the conversation we've had around flexible working and everything, there might be other elements that have been added on. But the way that leaders today engage with their teams, help the teams to grow, are sensitive to work-life balance, but also are in support of the learning journey. I mean, it's extremely important for the new generation, but not only. That's one of the main reasons for retention. Obviously, again, we need to feel that we are respected as individuals and that really think that leadership relationship with his or her yes. team are the key elements for retention. I absolutely agree. And it's certainly what I hear day in, day out. We've come to our last and final question for you, Eva. It's gone so quickly. So uh, just a final one, just to give you an opportunity to say anything that uh, maybe we haven't covered. And so what would be your top tip for leaders going into 2023? Now, I had my Christmas call yesterday with my team and I had a slide on 2023 with a big question mark. The question mark has grown a little bit. I know about GE and I can articulate, you know, what the challenges are for us next year. And there's a lot of changes, but we're not the only organization going through changes. And with all of the market related 
challenges and competitions. I think take a step at a time, plan for what we know, plan for an A, B and C scenario, being flexible to be able to accommodate for different options of evolutions, whether it's for ourselves, whether it's for our team, whether it's for business growth or maybe business reduction or a bit of hybrid or both really being flexible in the way of of building our roadmaps it really have to have a couple of of scenarios in mind and not just being thinking you know this is it and let's do it quarter by quarter or even month by month have a red thread uh, but then being able to deviate. Yes. And for you, what what is that red thread for you? For GE and where I am today, that red thread is going to be, we have a vision of we're going to be reorganizing GE and GE is spinning off quite a few of its businesses, healthcare going in January. And we as a power organization, we will be merging together and preparing for a spinoff in 2024. So that red thread is going to be with business leaders 2024 building the roadmap of preparing for that spin-off so the red thread is really looking ahead about how exactly we will be doing it what exactly the teams will be looking like that's a little bit of a gray area and we'll have to adapt as we go which is not easy when it might be influencing yourself as well as your teams along the way keep connected to the teams which for me is the red thread and one of the the key success elements for me this year is with all of the change and challenges that we've been through attrition has been very low in our team and so people have still felt loyal to the cause to that end goal that's great well thank you so much Eva it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today and to hear all about uh, particularly your ideas on that flexibility and that imbalance that's what I'm hearing a lot is this idea of balance but flexibility and long-term vision all at the same time it's it's so exciting and we come back really to that hunger for adventure that you have so uh, it really comes for me that's the red thread that I'm hearing (laughs) so so, uh, yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much. So, Eva, if there are people listening who would like to contact you, what's the best way? Is it LinkedIn? LinkedIn, certainly, yes. Yeah, okay, so we're in the show notes, we'll put the link to Eva's profile in LinkedIn so you can contact her there. Well, thank you so much, Eva. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. And to all our listeners, thank you for, for joining us for this conversation and do join us again soon to meet another leader who loves what they do. Goodbye. <laughs>